Today we are in Granbury, Texas at Pemberton Cellars. Today we have Jeff and Dax Pemberton. And uh, gentlemen, welcome yeah. to the program. Oh, thanks yeah. for having us. Thanks for coming out. Uh -huh. so, so how you guys been? Super. <laughs> <laughs> Except for except for the uh, except for them them cowboys, you know. You, 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 well, they got it in line last week on Thursday night. They came to, came to life, and so you know the the Patriots better watch out. Oh. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah Tom. Yeah, 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 Tom. There's the Dax Prescott is someone that you really need to be looking at. I, I was actually doing some numbers on there. When you really look at it, Tom Brady. His own, Tom Brady has been a constant in the NFL ever since, what, 2001, 2002. Well, mm -hmm. he wasn't there in, what, 99 or some mm -hmm. shit like that. But when you really look at it, every other quarterback has only been in there. Really, I mean, aside from there's a very few, you know, the Manning brothers are, are some of them. Drew Brees is another well, one. Well, the one Manning brother. Well, well, I'll let you have Peyton Manning, but we can't throw Eli in that. Eli, Eli had two good seasons. Hold on here. <laughs> Eli has been the only quarterback to beat Tom Brady. That was his two good seasons right there. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, it's two better than Peyton. <laughs> I mean, no, no, no. When, I, when I really start looking at it, the experience level oh, of the Patriots have, has really gone up, and it's, and it's really uncanny well, the, how it is. That what they do is that, and the reason why they are fun to watch, even though I – not the biggest fan of them just because they do always win. And my team, the Cowboys, we haven't seemed to find a way to win since the, I was in high school and college. But um, they don't go after – they don't necessarily go after the best talent always. They go after people that will fit their system, and that's what everybody should do. And, I mean, I don't understand why they don't – every team doesn't try to do what Belichick does. It's not – not that anybody can, because he's, and it helps to have Tom Brady, who just he seems to get be getting younger than he faster than he does get older. No, father time has not touched. <laughs> no. I, I've kind of realized, I've kind of come to the realization that Tom Brady is one of those guys where when he drops off, it's going to be a oh, very come. very fast drop off. Yeah. He's kept it up so long. I mean, what, this guy, 40 years old? playing. Play, he, think about it this way. When he first started playing, the people that he's playing now, the rookies that are coming in, were two and three and four years old. <laughs> if that, yeah. Mm -hmm. he, is, he is the best quarterback that's ever played a game. Yeah, yeah. I, I hate to admit that. But <laughs> he is. And he's probably the best-looking, prettiest one, too. Hey, he's gotten hit pretty hard, too. <laughs> you can't sit there and say he's a pretty boy because, man, that, he has taken some shots. I mean, the guy can't run for shit, but, I mean, you look at him, and he looks like a 17-year-old who's six foot five and, and first getting used of his legs, you know. I mean, it, but, no, hey, he's gotten very, very good over the years. There's no getting around any of that. Oh, yeah. He's, he has done his work. He has done what it was that he came to do. And I really do think that he's going to – unless he takes a complete shot to the uh, – unless he takes something that is a complete hit to the head or something like that, he's – like Aikman. He could play. Like, he could play. He says he wants to play until he's 45, and he could. It doesn't look like – at this point when he said he, said he was going to keep playing, and I was like, oh, well, he won last year, so okay. 
We'll see what happens this year. But this year, he's playing better than he has in the past couple of years. And well, yeah, and, and they've lost Chris Hogan. They've lost uh, uh, Edelman. And I mean, when you really look at it, Gronkowski and he hasn't I mean, really done as he hasn't really done much. But they've gotten that Braden Cooks. He's good. He is. He is really starting to come into his own. Well, he may change his name to. Uh, oh, I just had that guy's name in my mind. What was his name? Blanda. Blanda. Yeah, he's a guy that he was a quarterback, then he was a kicker, then he was a quarterback, then he was everything in the band. <laughs> Played until he was about fifty-five or something like that. <laughs> George Blanda. Wow. He's going to change his name. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> or, or either that, or he's going to succeed him, and then then that's going to be the you know like you know how Wes Welker was when. You know, when Wes came That's into tech boy. Yep. And just small short but a small target. Yep. And it's very hard to it's very hard to get your hands on someone that can run just as fast in any direction in every direction and change direction. And it's only five speed. Six, and only five and it's only five eight. So when you go to grab him, your hands go over <laughs> his head. <laughs> yeah, so. Wow, that was a little bit of a detour there. <laughs> so anyways, back to wine, you know. So, guys, you know, the first thing, the first issue that that has really been kind of not necessarily plaguing Texas, but one of the things that we have seen is a difference between California and Texas is the truth in labeling, HB 1514. Uh, What what are your thoughts on that? Is is that something that will work in Texas, or do you think that's something that will work in California but not in Texas? In terms, in, in terms of one hundred percent grapes, I, th- my thought is, I mean, with us, we're trying to make sure that our all of our wine is one hundred percent Texas wine, and Texas grapes. That's why when we have our vineyard and when we've had to get wine and grapes from other places, we make sure that it's from Texas because we want to be able to put one hundred percent Texas on there. But I mean, I don't, I personally don't know the problem with if we got grapes from california or oregon or washington or whatever i would put grapes from washington yeah i wouldn't i don't understand and i personally just if it was from wherever it's from i would put where it's from and um, i think that if it's gonna but i think everybody should do that and follow that i mean i would want as a consumer i would want to know where they're from and i don't see why it's a yeah as big of a deal as it as, as it has become. As it has become. Well, you know, there's, there's one thing that there's more than one side to the story. There's more than two sides, really. Absolutely. But one of the big contentions has been that there's not enough Texas fruit to handle all of the Texas wineries. Okay. And that's a valid point. And, but with all the plantings that we've had over the last couple of years, it, from what I've seen in West Texas, it looks to me like there's going to be another 1,000 acres of grapes coming online in this next year. Okay. So it's, I don't know that that, that that reasoning is going to hold up for a long period of time, but I can understand the thought of it. But still, like Dax said, is in my opinion, as far as we're concerned, as Pemberton Sellers is concerned, is if we have fruit that's not Texas fruit, we're going to label it not to be Texas fruit. You know, that it, we'll label that it's not from Texas. Because all of our wines, we intend to have all of our wines to be Texas wines from Texas fruit. And, and, you know, we have an advantage that a lot of people don't have is that we still own a considerable amount of land in Terry County, which is where most of the grapes are grown. 
And so in the event that we can convince one of our renters to raise grapes for us, then we'll still, <laughs> still have estate-type grapes, estate-type wines from Texas fruit and Texas grapes. Have, have you seen, the cons- on the consumer side, have you seen a consumer that even cares if what they're drinking is 100% Texas or 100% California? Or, or has that kind of been something that's well, never really been an issue? Um, we've, I mean, I could say it's probably happened more at, um, more at uh, wine events or something if someone's there and they're someone from California or people that have come in from out of state. They'll ask if, this, if these are uh, Texas grapes and, or, you know, but that's what we let everybody know that it is, that they are, our ta- grapes are from Texas. So, and they are Texas grapes, but I wouldn't say that in our experiences that, or my experience, there hadn't been a whole lot of people that have been concerned about, it. I guess, I guess more of the time, I guess when they, they're coming to a Texas winery, they assume that they're Texas yeah. grapes, I guess. Yeah, that's, that's probably. That was the next area that I was going, yeah. do you think that they just assume that, you know, they drive through a vineyard, they get to the winery, and they just assume that everything here came from out there? I mean, is that more, is that more the reality? Or? I think it's more, probably more the reality. And I mean, if I were to go to a for example, if I were to go to a Washington winery, I mean, first or California or wherever, when if I when I walked in the door, I would assume that it, they were from everything the state. Was, everything was harvested, and if it wasn't, then it would say that they weren't. You know. Yeah. Well, you know, I can remember. I've, I'm older than most of you people, so <laughs> I've drunk wine for a long time, as well as all other spirits. But I can truthfully say, until we got involved in the labeling of our wines and learning what we could put on the label, what we couldn't put on the label, how we had to put it on the label, and, you know, what we c- couldn't say, you know, which in our instance, all of our, all of our stuff historically has been estate wines. But we can't put that on our label because not? we're not an AVA. We can't put There's it on not, the front. On we the can front. put it on the back description, but on we can't put it on the front put of the this label. Is a, you know, that this is an estate-grown grape that we made this wine out of, but we can't put it on the front because we're not an AVA. So, so let me get this straight. <laughs> the laws, rules, and regulations are that if you're an AVA, then you can say estate grapes. If but if you're outside of an AVA... Mm-hmm. Then it's then you can't you do can't that. put it on and the there's front, only on the there's table. and there's only there's not very many AVAs in Texas currently, but back or to my, back then where they weren't back to my story though yeah where I was going until I got into the wine business I can tell you that I never read the back label of a bottle of wine I never read where it was from I never read what was in it I never read anything I tasted it and if I liked it I bought it. And took it home to drink, or drank it right there, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. But until, as soon as I got into the labeling of it, then all of a sudden, a whole new world opens up of what we can say, what we can't say, and what you say and what you don't say. So it's all interesting. <laughs> no, that just blows my mind that <laughs> just because you're outside of a geographical area. Now, now you said you had renters out in West Texas. If you got, yeah. if you got, to, if you got a few of them to put together some you know if we had them put it or even for example the way it's even set up even for from my understanding of when we they told us because i sent labels in that had 
it's state grapes and they all got rejected and so had to put it on the back and found out and talked to the lady and my understanding of what she said back you know this was a few years ago so memory's kind of foggy to a certain extent but <laughs> you've from, had a few drinks <laughs> since then so my understanding is that even if we did do grapes out there in west texas which there is an ava out there in west texas we would also we would have to have a winery out there or it had to be produced out there to be able to call so you can't say. move it between your well, own your own uh land even well, if you I, i'm not sure about that you know is that my my impression was is if if we raised the grapes on our land and we produced them in our winery that we could claim a state grapes because it was in the from the high plains ava yeah now i can't tell you that that's 100 percent true <laughs> but that was my interpretation of what we do and that was kind of in the back of my mind sometime one of my sons is going to have to go to brownfield texas <laughs> and put some grapes in <laughs> one day one day <laughs> But who knows? But I have to go back and read the law, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, how many laws, rules, and regulations are actually revolving around the wine industry in Texas? At least six. <laughs> At least six. <laughs> wow. No, and I mean, and it is, it is one of the one of the major ones. Like you said, is what to um, whether it should what you should be able to put on your label when it comes to the grapes with Texas and whether it should or should not and and i understand what it why it was put in back in the day because there wasn't grapes there is now but i mean i don't know i think that uh to get it to what uh, we want we need to make sure that we're all on the same page as wineries yeah because yeah. we have a lot of we have a lot of things as wineries that say breweries and distilleries and things don't have the same exceptions of being able to sell out of your privileges, tasting room yeah. privileges that you're able to sell out of your taste room people can take it with them you can actually sell at your place they can drink wine at your place instead of like with you can go to a brewery but i mean for the most part they're supposedly giving it away you know to an extent you're paying a fee for a tasting fee or to have a tour and then they give you samples of beer for say but they can't you can't take a six-pack with you well you they can take a however much wine they would possibly want with them when they leave your place. And just want you know, as a Texas winery, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page so we don't lose those privileges that we currently have by going different ways and getting all upset about with each other and, um, I guess, kind of fighting amongst each other at some well, point. Well, do you think that's kind of one of those things that if everyone is divided that, it'll become a lot easier for someone else to come in and all of a sudden write the rules of the game. And now all of a sudden the players sit there and say, Hey, wait a minute here. We, do you, do you think you're going to have something along those lines? If I hope not, I just, I mean, and I'm not saying that it's getting there either, but I just, you know, I just, I, it's just one of those things to where we do, ha like I said, we do have a lot of privileges as wineries that other um, alcohol people in Texas don't have. And well, just, you can you can actually sell directly to a restaurant, can't you? Uh -huh. You can actually take mm -hmm. your stuff from here. From we can self-distribute. And yeah, a certain amount. So a certain, a certain amount. amount. Mm -hmm. So what's the certain amount? Fifty-one percent? Or oh, no, 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 no. I, I'm not. I'm not oh, sure. Okay. I'm not sure completely of the numbers, but I think it's somewhere around twenty-five thousand gallons. Really? Yeah. 
So you can actually have that much go out of your winery directly to yeah. a... It's either gallons or cases, I'm, yeah. I'm, but I'm not sure it's exact numbers, but it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of wine that we can sell Holy and that we can right. distribute, self-distribute. I didn't think it was that high. Well, we have to look at the rules. Maybe it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it is higher than what it is higher than what we don't we make could, that much wine yet. We, so. It is higher than what we could currently distribute ourselves <laughs> if wouldn't we to get to that point? Well, now, now that's how the now beer and alcohol they actually have to go through a distributor, a distributor. don't distributor. they? You can't you can't just go up to I don't know no. Del Frisco's and say, hey, look, here's some. <laughs> Here, I'm sorry. Here's some, here's some hills. I believe acre. so. I believe yeah. that. Now, I, I believe. I think you have they, to. they. I think there's a way that some of the craft beer places have worked out. And, but I think it's because they also serve food. But I'm not real sure on this. I think because there are some places that can actually make. They make their own beer and they sell their own beer there without going through a distributor. And I, but I think it has to do with food. And it gotcha. may be and that. They, and they may. And be, I'm not sure that's 100. Yeah. percent But I, I, I think if they sell draft beer like so if you agree with kegs because i believe that um revolver in here distributed a lot of theirs by themselves for a while there when they first they did, started they self-distributed yeah they self-distributed but i don't know about if they could get into but a Our lot limit. of it, if they could get there when they started making bottles i don't know that may have been something that, you yeah, know to get into a gas station or yeah. into a supermarket or something they may have had to uh, do different things but to get into restaurants you're selling them a keg or something yeah. like that yeah but they, they they're probably limited to a certain number of gallons that they can self-distribute before they have to go something big i'm yeah. not real sure yeah wow well i mean do you think, I mean, part of the, well, some of the guys that I've talked to, they just say, you know what, we just need to throw out the rule book and restart rules. Just throw everything out and then actually have laws that everyone agrees on that actually governs everything the same. Do you, do you think that's, uh, do you think that's viable or do you think that's a uh, kind of a pie in the sky kind of thinking? I think that it's a that, that it's not necessarily a bad idea when it comes to certain laws, but I mean, um, I think that you've we've that it's got to go through the correct process yeah. altogether as the, as one um, cohesive winery unit or group or yeah. whatever, just An industry unit, industry unit, and I don't know exactly how the best way to do it is. I'm just saying that if we start um, if we wipe out everything. I don't know that wiping out everything and then saying, okay, well, now you've, we're going to start by playing by different rules. Okay, well, now you have to follow the same rules, distributing rules that beer and, uh, you know, okay. and whiskey no, and no, stuff. I mean, like. No, this guy was saying wipe out for the alcohol industry, wipe out all the rules because most of them took place right, you know, direct either before or after prohibition. Yeah. A lot of the wine industry kind of stayed a thing in in the during prohibition because of the religious aspects of it yeah the, the, sac, the holy sacrament so that was one of those things that kind of has maintained throughout the years but there's there's a lot of you know there, there's a lot of laws on the books that were actually taken from that time that just don't make sense anymore <laughs> That's I mean, a, there's a lot of them like that. They, if you, I mean, that there's a lot of laws in anything. I mean, you talk about <laughs> we're from we're from uh, Mansfield, Texas, to where now we, when I mean the actual city limits of Mansfield, Texas is very is not very, but their school district expands to 
so many other cities and stuff like that to where now we have six high schools you know it's kind of one of those things to where those were done around the same time also you know so it's i don't know that it's it has to do with a lot of things but i mean i don't not saying that it couldn't but i mean it just that it shouldn't be that way for everybody but i mean i we also i do enjoy the privileges that we have in the water you know (laughs) if that means that those are going to be wiped out i don't know that it's uh, the the whole reason for it and i mean i i mean again this is one of the guys that i've talked to is actually from og sellers is uh, james from og sellers just right up the way here well actually in yeah he's he's way northwest of he's a monster almost yeah. a monster and um what he was saying is that the reason why he doesn't like california grapes coming into the state is because they fall they all fall under the same tax code so or they follow they all follow the same rules so the reason why beer and whiskey and alcohol and all the other hard liquors is because let's face it here hops is not really traditionally grown here in texas yeah. So you're buying that from outside of the state. And then when you really take the uh, barley and a lot of these other things, there's, there's really not a lot of the, the agriculture, um, the, the agricultural portion of it that's being used in Texas. However, that's the reason why the rules are different. Now, in the wine industry, most of Texas wine is Texas wine. So 75, well, right now is what, 75%, 85% if you want to call it an AVA. Um, but then also on, but what he's saying is, look, if you're buying that, those ingredients for that form of alcohol, and then you're buying, you know, different grapes from other portions of the country, you're doing the same thing. And so, you know, his whole process, his whole thought process on it was, Hey, if it's outside of the state of Texas, it goes under one laws, rules and regulations, regardless of if it's wine, if it's alcohol, if it's beer. Uh, and then if it's 100% Texas, then it all goes under that. So it doesn't matter if it's wine, if it's beer, if it's, it's hey, it all goes under the same laws, rules, and regulations. Um, is that something that sounds feasible, or is that, again, a, a pie-in-the-sky kind of thought process? Well... I don't, I, I don't. By the way, I don't wish to uh, make anyone sound like they're talking shit. So I'm just saying a different perspective. Well, I've been in politics before. <laughs> and if you sit down and have a committee and you start to rewrite something that you've already got, you don't know what you're going to end up with when you get done because you're not going to have a committee that thinks exactly like you do and wants to have the same rules that you want and interprets it the same way that you do. Okay. So in my opinion... I think that's pie in the sky of saying, okay, we're going to wipe it all out and start again. I mean, that could be awesome and could be great, but I cannot see that happening. I think we need to take what we've got and we need to work with what we have through the normal channels that we go through that everybody knows what they are. We work through the normal channels. We work with the people that we've got and we change the things that need to be changed and we leave the things that are good for us and leave them alone. Yeah. You know, in, in my mind, the other liquor industry should have the same privileges we do. Okay. I can't see. But I know the distributors don't want that. Why not? Well, obviously. Yeah, then obviously they don't want to do that. Well, that kind of, I mean. So, but, that, you know, that's how it is. That's how it is. And we are where we are. But we need to be cognizant of what we have and what we can lose by completely abandoning everything that we have. 
Gotcha. We need to, in my mind, we need to work through what we have and accomplish it, get together and accomplish it as we need to do. You know, to give you a small example of what happened in 1981, I was farming in West Texas. We got involved in the, a movement called the American Ag Movement. We spent a year in Washington lobbying to get gasohol legislation approved to where it was the same as, as gasoline regulations were, to where we could get the same tax benefits that gasoline got and have the same ideas. We got up there, and we were talking to the major ag people, and the first question they asked us, you know, here we were, grain farmers, cotton farmers from West Texas. We were up there, and the first thing they asked us, they said, is the dairy industry online with what you're wanting to do? So what that told us right there is that what we were doing was important to us, but it was not nationally important unless we had the dairy industry involved in it. And once we had the dairy industry involved in what we were doing and we come, you know, came on as a united front, all of a sudden we were able to get legislation passed that worked in our favor. Okay. The only problem that made it not work in our favor is the banks wouldn't loan us any money, so it didn't happen <laughs> until George Bush said, you're going to have gas haul, and here we do. We got some gas haul now. Okay. Because so, so, we were trying to put in big alcohol plants back in the 80s. And we couldn't get them financed was the reason we didn't do it. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and I can give you the reason. The reason was is we found out using the accounting firm of Arthur Anderson that for gasohol to work, you know, which is basically 10% alcohol mixed with gasoline, for it to work, gasoline had to be selling at the pump for $2.57 a pound, cents a gallon, excuse me. Okay. And you know it didn't get there until about four or five years ago. Oh, yeah. And now it's back down to $2 and $2.20, something like that. But it had to be that high to make it to where it was uh, economically feasible for alcohol plants to function in, in the de- today's world. And so we didn't get there. And because of that, we, di- we, we, we didn't have it happen in the 80s. If, we if gasoline had been two fifty seven, we'd have had gasoline plants in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. So learning from that experience... And, and we have to put on our united front. We have to put on a united front. That's all. Yeah. So now, I mean, it seems like there's a lot of splintering going on in terms of it. Seem, it seems like you know the the guys who like it the same are all in their little group and <laughs> want it to stay the same is all in their little group. The guys that want to throw everything out and start all over, they're kind of in their three and four people. And then the, you know, then there's a bunch of factions on here. Is there anything that is? Is there anything that would kind of bring everyone together well well, there is one thing or there's two things actually in my mind there's two things that will bring it together is for texas to have plenty of fruit for everybody to purchase and the price of california fruit to come up to the price of texas fruit get up to our quality and our price because right now the average price of California fruits around eight hundred bucks, as I understand, it's been published. Yep. And the price, average price of Texas fruit is sixteen hundred dollars. Absolutely. So when you have prices like that, it depends upon how you run your budget and how you you know manage everything you do. Is if you're running everything basically on cost, then you're going to be looking to buy California fruit because it's naturally, cheaper. Naturally. Naturally. It's cheaper. You know, of course, you still got to add in getting it here, whatever. But still, yeah. But, that's you, but gonna, that economic you wise, you're looking at that. Tons of so, it. yeah. But still, if California, California fruit was the quality of Texas fruit, 
because I'm sure they don't sell us the fruit that, you know, they're good quality fruit. <laughs> if it was the same quality as our fruit and the same price, then I think all of our issues, their problems would go away. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's uh, one of the things that, that James actually did say is that, look, I mean, the guy who is going out here spending sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, two thousand dollars $2,000 a ton, and he's naturally getting the tax breaks because that is what is required in order to make that work. Now a guy goes and says, hey, wait a minute here. All I have to do is just go over there 2,000 miles. I got all the fruit I want, and I have it at half the cost. I can double my production at the same cost. That, it, that is absolutely insane. To act, and, and it makes sense from a perspective of a business owner, hey, we want to expand, we want to build, we want to grow, we want to make more money. That's the whole task and purpose of being in business, mm-hmm. whether it's wine, whether it's construction, whether it's intellectual yeah, property. Anything. That's yeah. just what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but until until the laws are changed to be called Texas wine, it still has to be 75%. Yeah. In our case, all of our wines are going to be 100%. Do you think it – now, do you think it should be – 100% Texas wine. 100% Texas grapes equals 100% Texas wine, which makes it Texas wine. Well, we kind of stated that a little earlier. In that yeah. We said that that we all of our wines are, are made from Texas fruit, and so we have Texas wines, and that in the event that we import fruit from California or wherever, is that we put it on the label. Well, yeah. So. Now, do you think that should be... Uh, that's obvious naturally what you guys do and i and yeah. that's what i love about you guys you guys are honest with me hmm. if it's i've never came here and tasted a wine that a i don't like or <laughs> b that has been sold to me under false pretenses i i can i get that hmm. um but do you think that should be a rule of the game rather than just something that you guys do um I think that currently that it, um, I think that it's something that, I mean, I would probably say that is in the industry as the way that we believe that, um, the way that the, the way that grapes are growing and stuff like that is that you should put, if it is whether, what it is or not. Um, I understand why the law was put in there in the past because there wasn't, and they were wanting in Texas, industry was smaller and growing and now that it's bigger i mean i i like i said we put it on there i would think that everybody would want to, yeah yeah you know um uh i just yeah. you know i think that they should but uh, if however it happens it needs to we need to go to we need to all be united and go through it through the correct to get it done but through the through the normal procedures normal yeah. processes okay you know, I heard I heard somebody make a statement one day that one of the reasons <clears throat> they wanted uh, wines made in Texas to be 100% Texas fruit, you know, Texas wine made from 100% Texas fruit, was because if we bought, brought in some fruit from France or Argentina or wherever, something like that, it might make the wine so much better that we couldn't, you know, the Texas wines and Texas grapes couldn't compete. Well, you know, to me, that's kind of an insult. Because I think our grapes are as good a quality as anywhere in the in the world. Yeah. So, you know, it, that argument to me is ridiculous because I don't think that's a good thing. I don't think that's a problem. I don't think it's going to happen. I think that the that in my mind, I would like to see all 
if you're going to call it Texas wine, it ought to be 100% Texas fruit. You know, I have I have another winery friend that I know one year when, the, you know, if you remember three or four years ago, West Texas, the High Plains AVA had three freezes in May, wiped out their complete entire crop. So nobody that got grapes from those people had any fruit to make wine out of. And so they were desperate because they had to have fruit to make wine so they could sell wine. And so they sourced their fruit from California. Naturally. Naturally. And so when they got through sourcing their fruit on their label, if you want, they labeled where their fruit came from. So it wasn't really a problem. They made still made good wine. It still sold. Everything worked out. But they listed where it came from. Absolutely. So I mean, to I me, it's not a problem. You know, it's a problem that, that we can work out. We just need to work at as a united front working it out Absolutely. and not divide because, you know, it's like divide and conquer. We don't, you know, if we divide and break up then all of a sudden none of us are going to get what we want. Absolutely. And they, and it should, and it should be, I mean, it's just, it's about like anything. I mean, you can't, you're not supposed to put made in America, made in the USA, if it's not made in the USA. <laughs> so, I mean, it's well, kind of one of the... Even those laws are stupid. Oh, well, I mean, but... What is it, 50%? It's, it's actually 50% cost. Oh, is it? Yeah, or 51% cost. It's some, it, it has to do with cost. Well, when you look at... I I, when I was working at MTS, in our, uh, MTS Inc., uh, we actually imported a lot of... Um, a, a lot of our stuff from China. Actually, what we would do there is we'd actually go and get contracts from, you know, Home Depot, Lowe's, and a lot of these other big companies, and then we'd go and just build it in China, have it sent in. Well, in order for us to meet, okay, so I'll take Snap-on, for example. Snap-on has two companies. You have Snap-on and you got Bluepoint. Bluepoint is the same design as Snap-on. It's just not made in USA. It's not made in their facilities up in... uh, was it Coconoa or whatever it is in, in Wisconsin or Michigan up north? Um, I'm sure I butchered the crap out of that name, <laughs> but sorry, snap on guys. <laughs> go Matt, go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, so it had to do with cost. Naturally, when you're talking about China, their costs are significantly mm-hmm. lower than, the, than made in USA. And so what we found out was it had to be say it could say assembled in the United States and that's what we put on everything but technically if you had 51% of your cost in the United States which basically requires boxing you know just taking out of one box putting it in another box and and, and then stamping it made in USA hmm. that was what the entire th- and it was absolutely ridiculous to me that this this product came from, you know, 12,000 miles that way. It was designed here in the United States. It was engineered here in the United States. It's gone over there, and now it's back in the United States. Or now it's, it's manufactured in the United States. Now it's brought over here. And now you want to call it made in USA. That, was abs- that absolutely blew my mind. <laughs> that, you know, I thought, you know, you know whenever, whenever it said made in USA, it was, there was a dude. At a CNC machine <laughs> somewhere within this somewhere area. The, the continental United States <laughs> that know? was making it in a warehouse, a plant. That's what I thought, but yeah, it, it, it's not that way. But yeah, I kind of want to shift gears here now. What, what do you think Texas wines are doing right, and what do you think Texas wines are doing wrong? 
Well, one of the right things that Texas wines are doing in my mind is that we're moving into growing grapes that, and making wine that does well in Texas. Instead of trying to, you know, trying to make and, and make wine and grow grapes that don't do well in Texas. It might do well in California or Washington, but they don't do well here. You're talking about Chardonnays. And- well, I'm talking, yeah, I'm talking about that because we have experience with that. <laughs> you know, I can tell my little story is that in class they told us you can't raise Chardonnay in Texas. Well, being an old West Texas cotton farmer, I said, don't tell me what I can raise. I'm going to raise Chardonnay. I should have said why. And if I would have said why, we, we would have probably changed our minds. Because basically, as it comes out so early, we never harvest it, you know, where we are, particularly in North Texas. But we did plant Chardonnay, and we planted an acre and a half of it. Now we have an acre and a half of of clear land that we're waiting to plant something else on. So, in reality, we shouldn't have planted Chardonnay. We should have planted something else. The one harvest we did have, we made very good Chardonnay, though. (laughs) On the third year, we had a small harvest. You know, made about uh, 65 cases of Chardonnay. We oaked it, and it was a wonderful thing. Sold out in two months. But we haven't had anything since. <laughs> so so we shouldn't have raised Chardonnay in Texas. So, <laughs> I think that, the uh, like he was saying, is that we are, that Texas is, instead of uh, one of the things that wineries are doing good, Texas wineries, is that uh, instead of saying... Every, well, California is known for um, Cabernet Sauvignon, among other things. And Washington's known for Riesling and Pinot. Instead of worrying about what other places have and what other things, we are planning and establishing our own type of things, like Tempranillo. I mean, Tempranillo was not something that was necessarily really grown for a large part in the United States until... For it until Texas and even Viognier for it to a certain extent, you know, and both of those are things that grow well in Texas, make great wines. And instead of, I think that what a lot of wineries and a lot of grape growers are in Texas are, have been doing is not worrying about what other thing, what other states are growing and what they're growing well and finding things that are grow well in Texas that make good wine. And it's, I think it's making it, great you know making texas wine great by the way that everybody's doing it well yeah that's kind of what it seems like it seems like texas is really starting to take on its own personality if you will you know we know that we're not california we know that we're not new york we know that we're not washington oregon and i'm not dogging on those areas because quite frankly let's face it here they've won a lot of awards and hey let's face it here the ultimate you know, the consumer is the ultimate judge. Yep. If they're willing to put down their money for what it is that you are <laughs> producing, well, then it looks like that's a winner. Yep. And clearly these individuals have been doing very well. Um, and so, and it's, it's really nice to kind of see that uh, Texas has kind of said, you know what, we're Texas, and that's it. You know, kind of go at it with that mentality. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, coming from a farming perspective, you know, I, you know, we, we've been designing and developing a rock picker, and so I've gotten to know a lot of farmers, particularly down in the Hondo area and you know, Bryce Bridge. I probably shouldn't say his for his last name too. But, you know, <laughs> really nice guy. I farmers, as a general rule, I have always had a very good relationship with them. They're they're just kind of straightforward kind of people, and that's kind of who I am. 
and it's very interesting to see how they actually view a crop and they you know again they say hey what works on this land hey if i have to take off rock if i have to put you know nitrogen into the soil if i have to put fertilizer of some sort or if i have to take something out well then so be it but you know hey that's that's kind of across the boards though yeah but uh, how's, how's 2017 rounding out in terms of in terms of uh, the wine, I mean, everyone is saying that pH level was good. The, the, the bricks everything were good. Was, everything was good. It was uh, it was. Um, we actually had to go buy another tank t- to be able to. <laughs> so I mean, we have we have um, pretty much every tank that we have here, and any 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 uh, variety and any type of capacity. It's pretty much filled to the to the rim because of 2017. So it was and good. 2017. Of course, we do have a high pH problem here with our soils and stuff. We actually had three wines that we didn't have to add anything to, no tartaric acid or anything, because their pH was in a perfect range. So, but wow. they're not all that way. Not you know, they haven't been not in, in the past. not in our part. They of Texas haven't been anyway. in the past with our vineyard. We sent, yeah. tend to do have more in the red wines then yeah, red wines are high ph high ph we do the white wines for it's we've we've been fine with them so okay. what what uh what are your actual factors in as far as rating fruit do you guys do a lot of just off of ph and off of bricks or is there other factors in there that you guys we do a lot on taste oh that factor yeah we put that factor in there we of course everybody uses ph and everybody uses bricks and use your VA you test everything but we spend all of our time not just completely operating off of the chem off of the the chemistry but we use the chemistry to add to the taste so we understand what we need to be doing to the wine and not just because it says it needs 47 pounds of uh, tartaric acid we never do that we always start with about half of that or a third to a half of that, and then start tasting the wine and seeing what it takes to make it taste right, and then we handle the rest of it. Oh, okay. So, so that's that's where the that's where the art portion of it comes in, rather than the science. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and I know that other places do, but I mean, and I think I'm sure everybody does that. And but bench, that's what we do. <laughs> you know, bench testing is <laughs> is very important for any of us, you know. And so, but it's just uh, for when it comes to the grapes. I mean, we've We've learned from our um, mistakes, I would hope, <laughs> or we continue to try to learn from our mistakes to whereas, um, whether it be our spraying program and what we're spraying. And we've done a lot of research to make sure that if there is some, a new chemical that is better than something that, was, that we've used in the past or does some different things or is good, better for the um, grapes we've tend to use that if we've made the canopy change the canopy and the way that we do the canopy and uh so we've just kind of learned every year from when we've done when we've done it in harvest grapes to where each year we'll and we also talk to some uh, other people that grow grapes yeah and that you know Naturally. to make to see what is working for them and what it, and have and that's the one great thing about Texas for the most part is or that we've had we have never had a bad experience is that um, every winery is very cordial to and very 
helpful to most any other winery. So if you do have a problem or any or people that are growing grapes and you have a question, they're more than happy to answer you. You know what I mean? They may not tell you all their secrets or how they got this great if wine, but they'll tell you things that are working for them or say, oh, yeah, I've used this. Yes, it did work. No, it did not work. I would try this. So everybody, that's the one of the greatest things that everybody is very helps out everybody else yeah, the and that's network a, the network effect. and that's the only way that that i think that's one of the main reasons that that texas is getting to where it is and getting bigger and bigger is because everybody wants texas wine to be great and you know if everybody the more wineries there is the more places there are to go the more better wine it is and the more you know because for us we'd like to here in granbury in this area we'd like to have about three, four more wineries, and people say, well, why? I said, well, we feel like we make the, some of the best wines. So, I mean, but it also gives us the, the consumer a chance to stay the whole weekend and yeah. then have two days, and they can go to some wineries here and go to some, some wineries there, you know, instead of just making, a say, a weekend. The more they're here, the better chance of you they have to come and experience the whole thing and experience your winery and your wine and stuff like that. Yeah. Absolutely, and another thing too is we're we're actually very close to the Dallas Fort Worth metropolitan area. Yeah, I mean, what was it? An hour and a half drive from. I, I live in the colony, so that's up next to Plano and Frisco. <laughs> I mean, you you get out on eight twenty, you know, one twenty one, and then you get to eight twenty, and then after that, it's three seventy seven, and you're here. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's a very you you guys are strategically located where whereas you're far enough away where you don't see the city <laughs> and you can actually see the stars at night but then also on top of that you're close enough where it is, it is a day trip mm-hmm. we, we 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 looked everywhere in the metroplex when we chose where we put our winery oh yeah and we checked east of dallas west fort worth north and south and we chose granbury just because it had all of the attributes that we desired in an area that we were going to put our winery in, and none of the rest of the places had all of them. They had some of them, but not all of them that we were Where'd looking you at. Check out. Well, we we looked at all the lakes. For one of the things we wanted was the lakes. We looked at Tawakini. Oh, okay. We looked at Gumbrel City. We looked at uh, uh, Lake Levon. We looked oh, okay. up north. We looked around. We looked at Possum Kingdom. We looked around. But this was the only place that really had everything that we were looking for. I mean, it's got a theater, opera house, and just to be a plug is that. My architecture firm back in the 60s, late 60s, did the first renovation of the Granbury Opera House. No, no kidding. Yeah, and if you go down to the, the museum down there, they have a model that I built <laughs> back then. So anyway, you know, we, we have a lot of ties with Granbury, and we love the place, and we think it's a great thing. We love people to come visit, and nearly everybody we've run into that comes down here just loves the area. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, so what are well, – aside from – Aside from trying to grow Chardonnay in Texas, what is some of the, what are some of the things that we're doing wrong as a as an industry? I mean, aside from not being a united front on some on some areas, I mean, there could be more united mm-hmm. on some in some areas. I mean, you're saying that everyone helps out. It, it it seems like it's much a lot like farmers. Farmers tend to help out other farmers. Well, I mean, for the most part, I mean, and I know that you know we take the. Um, the mentality of that when we got into this, um, we had a lot of help from um, other people, other wineries helping us or telling us, diff- you know, that don't the different do this, experiences. Different, uh, different experiences they had. 
So why would if someone called us to not, you know, reciprocate the same uh, help that we got? And so, I mean, but it's it's just, I just enjoy that part of it that you can have that. And it needs that because if if we're going to go to and become as big as I know that everybody wants it to be, you have to be together because, I mean, we all make we all feel like we make the best wine that we have and the best, you know, we all, everybody feels like their wine is the best, but if nobody comes to your place, you know, nobody ever knows. Well, yeah. That, that and is. so you've got to, if you, if everybody is friends with each other and help, help each other out, we all have fun, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have, you know, you get a lot of help. I'm, I can remember when we were choosing the grapes to plant the, you know, the varietals, the, that we were going to plant is that we decided we wanted to plant some Sangiovese. And so I was at a conference out in, you know, in Brownfield talking to a bunch of the growers out there. And they, you know, they, they all told me, said, don't plant Sangiovese. You, you don't want to plant Sangiovese. And of course I just listened. And I said, okay, never, I should have asked why, but I didn't. It took me a while to figure it out. The reason they didn't want me to plant Sangiovese up here is because they had a ton of Sangiovese they wanted to sell me. <laughs> so, yeah. so it had nothing to do with the <laughs> It had growing. nothing to do with anything. It just had to do with they had Sangiovese to sell me. So <laughs> here we go. <laughs> no, no, one of the things that I've seen that uh, with the wine industry is naturally what I'm getting into. It's a podcast. Mm-hmm. And also on top of that is a subscription box. That's what we're getting into. And one of the things that I really want to do is to be able to get 98% of Texas wine is consumed in within the borders of Texas. The good stuff never goes anywhere. Yeah. It's, it, it's drank. <laughs> I mean, you go to Austin, you, you go, you stay within the Austin city limits. You stay within the DFW Metroplex and you stay within Houston. You stay within San Antonio. And that's where most of the Texas wine is drank. And that's just the reality of it. My big thing is that people outside of Texas just have no idea how good Texas wine actually is. And the reason being is because whenever you have that made in USA on a Texas bottle or bottle of Texas wine that they taste in South Carolina, in New York, in New Hampshire, in Washington, in Alaska, in Hawaii, they associate that with Texas. And getting back to what you were saying about the California wine. No California wine grower or, or grape grower or winery is going to sell their best stuff. That's just natural. No. That, that, that's just, you're not going to do that. You're going to hold that for your own because that's your name. Even if somebody does pay for it, you're going to give them the mediocre grade stuff because you want to get rid of it. Yeah. And, and that's just simple economics. And then also on top of that, even... I mean, just looking at it from the, you know, let's just take this and go to the most extreme right. Say someone does give out their best stuff. You know, somebody pays, you know, Robert Foley, hey, I want, you know, 2500 bucks a, a, a ton, and he sends his best stuff. That's, that, that grape has to stay in in an 18-wheeler going through the <laughs> hottest regions of the United States. I mean, Death Valley. It's got to go through uh, <laughs> New Mexico, Arizona. Uh, it, and, and then it gets to West Texas, and the, which is hot too. And then it gets 
to the vineyard in, say, Fredericksburg or somewhere else, that grape is not going to have the same effect as it did if it just came off the wine and went through the process right there in California. And so I get the reason why they're not doing it is because that's not a very good representation no. of them that this is our best grape. And then, you know, somebody gets to Texas and they're like, well, that wasn't really that good. Or it was good, but it wasn't the best. Yeah. So I get it. I get it. But Well, I mean, I think a lot of the reason that, um, that Texas wines haven't been um, experienced in other states. And I mean, I think that it will grow more now than it has, but I know when, even when we first talked about doing this and we were taking classes and um, to, and our viticulture analogy classes and stuff like that, and talked to some different people is that it was hard to get wine out of Texas, you know, you could get wine from other states into Texas, but you couldn't, as a winer, you couldn't get it out of Texas. Okay. And um, a lot of that's changed to where, you know, I mean, I know even for a long time or even at first when he did it, you could get wine shipped to you from California. But if you're a Texas winer, you couldn't ship yeah, to that, California, you know, to it. You that could is, get it from. That is correct. There is a lot of laws, rules, and regulations that you have. And a lot of that's changed now. And yeah. A lot of it's, you know, a lot of, and a lot of the states have changed their different thing. And I think that will help eventually getting that, getting that wine tasted in, I don't know, say Colorado or yeah. for example, or the, you know, as it moves, cause it's going to take its, you know, as, as you and I were talking earlier, you know, we're, Texas is still in the, no matter how many wineries there keeps on becoming in the more and more, we're 454. still, <laughs> yeah, we're still in the beginning stages of becoming, you know, a wine state, Yes, you know? And so, I mean, we're back, we're, we're so, we're haven't been around making wine as long as, you know, California. I mean, there are a lot of wineries, you know, obviously, Yano and stuff that started a long time ago, but they were, there was just those. There wasn't as many as there are now. So as we're going through those different stages to get to those, the same as those places. And Well, yeah, and it, there's no replacement for experience. Oh, yeah. That's, that's the other side of yeah. it, too, is like you were saying, you know, we want to do wines that grow or wine grapes that grow well in texas and that is that is true however you know talking to you know talking to sandro from checkered past you know he said you know a lot of these guys you know you, you take a lot of the you know you know germany you take um, france you take the old world so italy spain and they really over the course of literally hundreds of years, you know, even probably, yeah, probably even thousands of years. I mean, this is going back to the Roman times. Uh, people fail to realize it, but if Rome, if it wasn't for wine, Rome would no longer would not have actually been Rome. Believe it or not, that's a that's another story. <laughs> that's another story. But you know, they've developed these techniques, and they've developed the grapes, and they've hybrided the grapes, and they've had they've gotten what it was that grew well in their area, California took a very surgical way of figuring out what worked well in their areas. Texas, on the other hand, because we're independent and we're Texas, we decided to take a shotgun to the whole thing and say, you know what, we're going to try this, we're going to try this, we're going to try this, we're going to try this. And 
you've tried it <laughs> or something. And yeah, like I say, we planted with our heart the first time. We're going to plant with our brain <laughs> the second time. So that that's really been one of those things that I've I've seen in Texas. <clears throat> but then also on top of that, you really start getting into it. And you know, you had alluded to it a little bit earlier as far as California is known for a single varietal. Washington, Oregon, the Finger Lakes region, they're known for two, maybe three different types of wines, and that's it. And even if you go out there, they have really taken the old world approach where we are going to do it a specific way. Texas isn't that way. It seems like a lot of stuff in Texas, hey, you know what? We're going to do it this way, and if it, were, if it tastes well, well, it looks like we'll do it again. If it mm-hmm. doesn't, well, hey, we throw it out. Try something different. I mean, it kind of seems like that's, do you think that's more of a normal way of doing it in Texas? Or is that kind of something that you think as, as it matures, it'll kind of figure out, you know, the Tempranillo will do well, the uh, Viognier will do well. I think that it will. And I think that it has gotten more that way. Really? Um, Just even since we've um, done it. And, you know, I think that, I mean, but, you know, like I said, Texas growing tech wine or growing grapes in Texas hasn't been around for that long. You know, I mean, I mean, it has, but it hasn't, you know, on to a certain extent. I mean, there's been a, they've grown certain, certain types of grapes, but they, we haven't had, I think that to an extent, like I said, we're trying to find our own identity. Yeah. And we haven't, we have found it in certain, uh, certain varieties, like as, as in Tempranillo and even in a lot of white wines with Viognier and stuff like that. But I think we're, still trying to find more just because we are Texans. And yeah. I mean, why, what's up, what, I mean, if we can make two, if we can make wine out of this, how, why not try to make the best wine out of this many grapes and find out how many of them it is, you know? Yeah. And I think that there, that we're still in that process as, uh, Texas grape growers are finding the, um, best ones. And I think that's one of the good things is, is that, uh, there are a lot of, um, growers that say, okay, well, this one should Someone they've heard from different experience or heard from, well, this one may grow well in Texas. Well, yeah. let's give it a shot. Yeah. Why, you know, why not? And I just, I think that with anything that it, if you stay stagnant and don't seek out different ways for, to grow different things or to expand, one, you never know. And two, you just kind of sit there. You've pigeonholed I mean, yourself. You've pigeonholed yourself to where, I mean, there's a lot of places to where, you know, you get to where I'm sure that California makes a bunch of great, great wines of other different types of wines. But, I mean, when you talk about California wines, you're talking, the first thing that comes up is Cabernet Sauvignon. Yep. You know, I mean, and I'm sure there's other wine, reds that, and whites that grow in there that are awesome out there, but you never. Well, the the big reason that I've that I've seen with California is most of the land is already bought up. Oh yeah, and so with Texas, you go out west, and I mean, you have more <laughs> you have more land than you know what to do with. <laughs> yep, and, and a lot of different climates to raise absolutely. grapes in. The the only thing that we don't have is elevation. I mean, we have some areas that have elevation up in the panhandle and stuff like mm-hmm. that, but we really don't have. Well, you know, the, the Terry County area out there is 3,500 feet yeah. above sea level. Where here we are, we're 460 feet above sea level. Uh, so 3,000 feet difference? Yeah. 3,000 foot difference? 
That's the reason they have cool nights and course they have low humidity because they're semi-arid they're getting close to the desert so yeah but you know the, the interesting thing we all talk about wine and, and all this kind of stuff but in america united states 85 percent of the wine produced in the united states is produced in california no kidding yeah 85 percent so the other five major are the four major producing states uh new york washington and oregon and texas soon to be number two, we have to split up the rest, the other 15%. So when you look at the at the four of us, and then you look at what California, the volume they produce is that, is that we're, we're just a teeny little bubble on the block, you know, when it's coming up, you know, a new up and coming way. But still, you know, it's, when you go into the grocery store, it's hard to see wine that's not California wine. Oh, absolutely. You know. Absolutely. You go in the store and you'll see a you'll see, you know, twenty feet that has Texas wines on it, and then you see two hundred and fifty feet that's got California, and then you have all your imports and stuff like that. So you know we're fighting a, you know we're fighting a battle, but it's a growing battle, and we're growing, and hopefully we continue to grow well, and we work out all of our problems, and you know Texas will be number two in the nation is in wine production soon. Well, yeah, just to put numbers to it, Cal. Uh, Texas is actually 13.1 billion. The Texas wine industry. So I don't know if this is actually wine or if this is if the if the numbers are actually broken down as to economic impact, which obviously includes mm-hmm. tourism and all the other and the farming and ag and everything else along those lines. But they were saying that it was 13.1 billion dollars per year. That, whereas that, that's whereas a big number. California is 59, 59.7 or 59.8, yeah. almost $60 billion. But going back to California a little bit, has the fires impacted anything uh, in terms of their cost of grapes, in terms of their cost of wine? Has it actually impacted anything or is it just? I, I really don't know. I do know one thing, though. I did call a friend in California. And ask them about you know what what kind of devastation they had in their and their vineyards out there, and what he said, and he lives in the Napa area. Okay. And he said, yes, there were some wineries that were completely devastated, and vineyards that were just completely burnt down. You know, everything was gone. He said, but in general, their vineyards survived most of the fires. This is what he said. He said the vineyards survived most of the fires. Why is that? Well, just because. There wasn't anything around the burning. You know. Gotcha. You know, the trees are up on the sides of the hill, and they're down the valley or whatever. And he said they survived most of the fires, but the workers lost all of their living quarters. So the problem is one of the biggest problems they have is labor, is that the people that work in the vineyard, work in the wineries, work everywhere, have no place to live because they lost everything. But there's another thing. You know, if you read any of the articles, you know, coming out about what's happening is that the grapes are going to have a lot of smoke taint to them, apparently. I've never been involved in that, but that's what they keep talking about is the smoke taint that is going to be in the grapes, and it's going to be a hard thing to handle, you know, through the production this year. Wow. <laughs> well, it looks, like, uh, it looks like the monkey in the middle is going to have to figure out how to take, take grapes and somehow work it with a barrel and figure out how to do that, but. No, guys, I thank you for uh, being on the 
program. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but oh no, we loved it. Mm-hmm. Great you time. Know. Yeah. You know, hopefully always... most of the information was 100% correct. <laughs> well, hey, thank you guys for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next week.